I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Food is Culture, a podcast. I hope you've eaten. Today's episode had my stomach talking to me. Today's guest is a fellow Torontonian, a fellow podcast host, and we have a shared love of a local restaurant. Alex Hajar's love of food and his culture is clear. He's so knowledgeable in all delicious Arabic food. His memories of his grandmother's cooking are so lovely. His aunt's bakery sounds wonderful, and he has traveled all over. Alex and I connected online, and we chat a bit about that and how the metaverse is slowly taking over everyday run-ins and daily interactions. He tells us of a story of his car getting hit in Toronto. I often say Toronto is so small, and it really is. Toronto is a wonderful city made up of teeny pockets of cultures and neighborhoods, and made even smaller by the people who were born and raised and still live here. After our conversation, we chatted a bit more and have less than two degrees of separation. Remember that game, seven degrees of separation? It's actually only six now as our world has gotten smaller. And I remember reading an article years ago in Vandy Fair, I think, that locals in Rome had the fewest average degree of separation being only about 1.5. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There are a lot of great links in the show notes to check out. And if you're local to North York in Toronto, check out Jerusalem. Kaskun! Alex, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that we connected because I'm so excited to hear more about you. Great. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to share. This is like a, such a cool, obviously, subject matter because everybody loves food. <laughs> well, I, th- I think so. <laughs> At least everyone I talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you define your cultural background? Right. So I have two cultural backgrounds. Uh, I'm Italian and uh, Lebanese. Uh, my mom is uh, Italian and her side of the family comes from the northeastern portion of uh, Italy called uh, Friuli. Friuli Venezia Giulia is the name of the uh, province. Beautiful. And uh, my dad comes from a town. Uh, well, he was born in Beirut, but the, our family comes from a town called Araun, which is in the sort of, I think it's in the Beka Valley. <laughs> I don't, I've not been to Lebanon, embarrassingly, but I haven't been there yet. So, but that's where we're from. Amazing. And were you born in Canada? Yeah, I was born. Born in Toronto and and uh, raised here largely, uh, well, totally actually, <laughs> and um, I spent a few years living in England as well. But uh, I came back in 2016, and I've been here. Uh, we were there for like three or four years. Amazing. So, growing up, did you speak Lebanese and Italian? Yeah. So my mom taught us Italian growing up. Yeah, she would speak to us all the time. Um, we, I think I retained it subconsciously because I didn't speak it back. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like when I go to Italy, I can I can get by really well. And then if I if I have a few drinks, then I can get by very well. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I feel like some um, Italians, I know that they grew up speaking Italian or listening to their parents speak Italian, responding in English. They said after a couple of glasses of wine, you're in Italy. All of a sudden you're just it's fluent. (laughs) Yeah, it just flows out. Um, Arabic, not at all, actually, uh, at home, like uh, my dad never spoke it to us. But he can like I know he understands it. He just uh, just never taught us. Um, but I'm actually trying to learn more now. And uh, we spoke it in terms of like my grandparents spoke it all the time, and we spent a lot of time there. And I also sorry, I also worked in my aunt's uh, my aunt Norma and uh, Rwand are their names, and they had a bakery. 
for years and years and years at uh, Dufferin and Shepherd, uh, and it was a Lebanese bakery. And so I worked there on Saturdays, and they would speak Arabic all the time to me and customers. And uh, so I heard it. I heard it often. That's amazing. And those are two such different languages. Like Italian's one of the mm-hmm. Latin languages in Arabic. Um, I, I, I'm trying to learn a little bit. I My father-in-law is Maltese, and I didn't realize how much Maltese um, sounds Arabic. That's wild. I don't know. uh, I don't think I've had too many like Maltese uh, connections. So I don't actually know really what the language sounds like specifically. But Mm -hmm. I guess it's 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 a Mediterranean country, right? So Mm -hmm. some of the culture must uh, sort of cross paths. I imagine. Yeah, the European and Mediterranean and um, Italian Arabic. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. So tell mm. me more about this bakery. What kind of baked items did your aunt sell? Yeah, so uh, primarily they would make fresh uh, manish, which is like a pizza. I guess it's like a personal pan pizza, which mm-hmm. is the size that they used to make. It's probably like eight to 10 inches uh, in diameter. And they would, uh, it's really sort of really basic. Um it's a spice blend and it's usually, well, it's Zatar. I don't know. Zatar is kind of trendy right now. Mm-hmm, so it is. You can do, you know what it, do you know what Zatar is? I, I don't know if it, is it a blend of spices? I know what it is. I have it in my kitchen. I use it all the time. Yeah, it is a blend of spices. So okay. it's a savory blend of uh, dried herbs. So it's uh, typically thyme. I think that's actually what Zatar means is thyme. Oh. Um, and it's got like cumin, coriander, sesame seeds, and uh, the sort of big ingredient uh, needs to be in there is uh, sumac. Mm. Um, and so that makes a kind of, that uh, creates a sort of tang uh, in the spice blend as well, which is really nice. And uh, But you mix it essentially with olive oil and you spread it on a dough and you sort of create pockets with your fingers along the top of the dough uh, as if you were just kneading, but you just, you're creating these sort of pockets. And that's where the the sort of oil and, and, uh, herb mixture would sit and then solidify while in the oven. Um, And it just creates this like incredible flavor profile, but they would make that primarily. And they would make um, what's called like jibin, which is essentially the same thing, but with uh, a cowie cheese. And that was really nice. I haven't had it in a while to be honest, but it's really good, like boiling hot, Mm -hmm. um, but cold is not not the way that I prefer eating it. And then mm-hmm. they also made like cack bread. It's like uh, it's like a circular bread with a hole in it. Kind of looks like a purse from the 60s. <laughs> um, and it's covered in sesame seeds. It's uh, And it sort of puffs up to make it look kind of like a bag. And then they would make this stuff called fataya, which were these sort of pockets of dough. And they were, I guess, like the Middle East version of uh, like a Jamaican patty. Uh, or a pasty from England or a samosa, and they would stuff it typically with um, meat, ground beef, and uh, pine nuts, like toasted pine nuts mm. and things like that. Um, yeah, those were the main things that they made on site. And then they would bring like pita bread in and they sold nuts and seeds and things like that. So um, yeah, it was incredible. That sounds wonderful. I love all of those things. Well, and the mm-hmm. one bread you were sort of describing almost sounds like a focaccia, like making the pockets of the olive oil and the spices sort of pool in in the dough. Yeah, that's the I uh, that's the idea. It's much thinner. It's like uh, like I said, it's kind of like a pizza mm-hmm. in terms of its thickness or depth. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, same idea. You're pushing it into the dough and really kneading it in uh, and getting a feel for it, I guess, and then uh, dumping this sort of mixture in there so eventually it dries in those pockets. And I was going to sort of talk about this with the um, 
in terms of like sharing a recipe, mm-hmm. you know, I that is such a great recipe. It's super easy because it's a you know a spice blend you can get anywhere now, mm-hmm. olive oil and dough, and then you can wrap whatever you want in it. So typically we wrap like cheese or a spread Lebanese on it, and mm-hmm. have tomato and cucumber and just roll it up, and it's like an incredible like lunch or breakfast even. Anything. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing! Well, I just recently made Lebanese for the first time, and it was so. Mm. Easy. I couldn't believe how easy mm. it was. And how did so you delicious. Do it? Um, cheesecloth, so thick Greek yogurt. And then mm-hmm. I wrapped it in the cheesecloth. I tied it on my sink and just kind of let it drip out all day. <laughs> oh, nice. And then when it was done, I spread it on the plate. I poured some olive oil and then sprinkled it with sitar, and it was delicious. It was perfect. <laughs> that's uh that's great. I would love that. If I saw that in someone who I didn't know was like ethnically Arabic, yeah. I'd be like, you're a pro. That's like <laughs> making your own Lebanese is very pro move. Yeah. Yeah. I was just having a craving. It started, I think with maybe when I was ready with my son, I couldn't mm. get enough Lebanese and like a fresh cucumber salad. Oh, really? I just wanted so much. And just like, I wanted just the Mediterranean foods and vibe. And, um, and then recently I was just having a little craving for it. So I was like, you know what? I can probably just make it. Cause I went to the grocery store mm-hmm. in my area, which is, um, <laughs> there isn't really much of an ethnic section. Mm-hmm. Um, like other grocery stores, I mean, some Loblaws are amazing and they have aisles and aisles of, you know, quote ethnic food, or it's not even an aisle. It's just spread out throughout the grocery store, which is amazing. But the one near me, um, it's a little limited. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make it. I have my sitar. I have some Greek yogurt. Let's do it. Let's try it. Nice. I should <laughs> yeah, do that because I do that. I do get Greek yogurt, but I haven't tried, haven't even tried making it. Um, <laughs> it's funny actually, because uh, in the sense that my my grandmother made it all the time. That's why I'm saying it's a pro move because I used to see her make it. And it, she would essentially do the same thing. Uh, she would just let it sit you know, cheesecloth, and then it would be held suspended over the sink uh, mm-hmm. in like a sieve, you know, mm-hmm. um, and she would just let it drain. So exactly the same stuff. I know what you mean. I live in an area that's primarily white people, at least around the supermarket that I go to the most, right? I go to No Frills, I like uh, on somewhere on Islington. And um, it's funny because I used to live in, uh, I used to go to school at like Don Mills and Shepherd, mm-hmm. so northern part of Toronto, northeastern part of Toronto, and there was a no frills there. But because the the uh, area was ethnically vibrant, right, uh, mm-hmm. diverse, I should say, uh, they they had Asian food, they had African food, they had Middle Eastern food, they had all the stuff that represented the the ethnicities around there. But now I go into like the no frills in my area and I can't even find like rice noodles. And I'm like, dudes. <laughs> and it seems like such a staple now, right? Like 100%, some, yeah. some things just, I was in a grocery store and I couldn't find fish sauce. And I was like, do oh, no. you know where your fish sauce is? And they're like, oh, we may have that in the ethnic section. So I go and, you know, the health food section and ethnic section are the same side of one aisle. And oh, it's like no. this little tiny sliver. <laughs> I'm like, is this for real? Like, I feel like these are regular ingredients now, you know, regular yeah. pantry staples, especially I in Toronto. Agree. <laughs> yeah. And there are some great shops in Toronto that are, obviously there's tons of them, but hmm. uh, like ethnically specific grocery stores and you will find like such a diverse amount of ingredients there, like stuff I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it like the peanut in North York. Uh, there's like a small Asian supermarket there. And that's where I go to get like green. Um, oh, what is it called? When I make this Thai salad, uh, you need to, sh- you need to have it's this like green papaya. 
green papaya. That's it. But papaya is like orange, ready to eat everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But oh, you can only get the green one at like the Asian supermarket. So I'm like, I need to make a special trip, and it is worth it. I was looking for a specific um, Mexican hot sauce um, mm-hmm. the other day, and I couldn't find it. Like the two grocery stores near me, but I was like, you know what? If I was downtown, because I live in North York, I was like, if I was downtown, this would mm-hmm. be this would be with all the other hot sauces. This wouldn't be in the ethnic yeah. section. This and this would for sure you could for sure have it. But it's I mean, it's <laughs> good that they cater to what's in the neighborhood. But then sometimes you're like, really, this is this ethnic, or is this just? This is just delicious and it should be everywhere. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, What is your first memory of food? Okay, so my first memory of food is... uh, I used to have this babysitter when I was in grade school, like elementary school or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, she lived directly across the street from the school and you had to pass by like the church. I used to go to Catholic school and as a kid. So you'd walk past the church, walk across the street, and there's this little uh, Italian lady called Lucia. And uh, she would take care of us for the afternoon uh, until our parents showed up. And she used to make this pastina, which is like a super easy dish. It's just like a tiny stelline pasta and, you know, brodo, as they say, right? Broth and uh, like salt or whatever. It's just something really simple, right? Like you almost make it when you're sick. But I think because Mm -hmm. she took care of like eight of us or whatever, she just had to make something en masse. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but the reason I remember it is because she used to make it and it used to, uh, you know, when she gave it to us in the bowls, they were so hot. Like the the soup was so hot. She would put these ice cubes in it Mm -hmm. to make it cooler. And I thought that was like really strange, I guess, at the time, but it totally makes sense. Like when you're giving children piping hot bowls (laughs) full of water, uh, boiling water, right? You kind of want to cool it down first. So Mm -hmm. I love that. That's actually, it's funny you say that that's, one of my earliest memories as well was eating, you know, instant noodle, instant ramen noodles. And my nanny had made me and putting ice cubes. And I remember, you know, taking a spoonful and the ice cube was, there was still a little piece of ice cube in there. So it'd be mm. really, really warm soup with like this little cold pocket, right? <laughs> right. And every bite, that's so yeah, funny. Yeah. And kind of just came flooding back to me. And obviously I do that now with my, with my kids. They always have ice cubes in their soup. <laughs> yeah. It's smart. It's funny the way that it flows down like that. But yeah, she used to get so, uh, she was quite a cool babysitter actually, but she would get really wound up if we ever got anywhere near the TV while the Young and the Restless were on and she was taping it on her VCR. <laughs> That's, That's a, another distinct memory from that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What is your favorite dish from your childhood? Uh, what is my favorite childhood dish? Interesting. Um, I guess if we're going to talk about like Lebanese food, then I should mention uh, kibbe, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's this sort of little pocket it's shaped like a grenade almost. Um, and it's a little pocket made of bulgur wheat, right? Which is like a cracked wheat. Um, and uh, and inside it, so you're almost creating like an egg. You're, you're making an egg in this in a, uh, egg shape out of bulgur. So you sort of get this bulgur together and uh, it's got to be really pasty almost because it's got to adhere together. So there's some sort of binder involved mm-hmm. uh, and you roll it up into a ball, almost like a meatball. And it kind of looks like a meatball. Uh, but then you, you start to sort of make a well in it with your thumb and you're essentially creating a pocket. And then into the pocket, you put it's like ground beef and onions and then uh, pine nuts, toasted pine nuts, uh, or sometimes there'd be walnuts. And then you close up the pocket and then you would deep fry this thing. Mm. And then I think 
what seemed to happen is like the bulgur shell would uh, would like crisp up, like get really super crisp, uh, and it would almost thin out. So it had this really thin wall, but you could take it out and it was still whole, and you could break it open and it was steamy, uh, and it was just full of like this like you know pan seared ground beef and onions and uh, spices and nuts would have this really sort of rich. Uh, nutty flavor as well and you could like yeah mix it with like lebne or hummus and um but usually we just kind of ate them they were like a treat you could just pick them up off the plate and my grandmother would make like like a hundred of them at the time at a time you know mm-hmm. um yeah that was probably my favorite childhood food i love that that almost sounds like a take on like an arancini yeah mm-hmm. like deep yeah. fried with the meat and instead of cheese a bulgur that sounds so good mm-hmm. oh right. yeah it's fantastic it's very yeah, a very cool dish i love how much pine nuts are incorporated in lebanese food i love that but i also am frustrated because i try to make lebanese food and pine nuts are very expensive <laughs> so <laughs> i find it hard justifying i'm like how much pine nuts can i get away with with just getting this you know this yeah. flavor <laughs> yeah, Costco. You get a big, a big oh, yeah, bag, and enough. you freeze them. You have to freeze pine nuts because they go they go rancid really quickly. And the cupboard. yes, that's funny that you mentioned that because it, it totally makes sense. When uh, I spent time with my uh, living at my grandmother's house when we came back to England, um, we we lived with in my grandmother's house, and she always had like two fridges. And a deep freezer because she was always ready to cook for the entire neighborhood. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then, you know, the whole way through, uh, even to the point where she like had a care uh, worker in, she still had months worth of pine nuts frozen in the fridge. She was, she would expect an army to show up at any given time. Uh, sounds like my kind of lady. Love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you still crave some of your childhood favorites or do you have new favorites now? So yeah, I totally have new favorites now. I mean, getting older and traveling, um, you know, I've traveled, uh, I think I can say I traveled fairly extensively through Europe. Uh, and recently I've been to Asia, I went to Thailand and that brought out a whole new love for getting um, genuine ingredients for those kinds of dishes when I want to cook them. Because before I would put something together and I'd be like, oh, this is good enough or that oil is good enough uh, or this flavor is kind of close enough to that. But now I'm intent on going to get the genuine ingredients so that I can make it the way that it tasted um, in, in, you know, when I was abroad and stuff like that. So like the paellas in Spain and uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and mainly curries, to be honest, Indian, like we're living in England, like curries were such a huge thing. So we got used to eating those as takeaway. And now we're sort of like, we fancy ourselves as like critics about it. Um <laughs> even though we're just normal people. And and yeah, it, uh, Thai food for sure. I think those are my new favorites. But anytime there's a chance to go for Middle Eastern food, I will like instinctively gravitate towards it. I can find hummus in a crowd very easily. <laughs> <laughs> Have you made it at home, obviously, from scratch? Yeah, yeah. I actually made it last week. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's the one thing I just can't master. I don't know. I've tried making it a couple times. I don't know if I'm just not getting the right proportions of the tahini and the chickpeas right, or I'm roasting the garlic for too long, but I settle for, unfortunately, settle for store-bought. <laughs> if you, are you using the, or do you use canned chickpeas? I know. Usually I'll soak them and I'll boil them myself. Okay. Do you use the water from 
the from when you boil the chickpeas? No. Do I need oh, to, do I need to do that? That is where you're going wrong. So okay. if you're if you're making it with a can, like last week I made it with a can because it's easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, well, it just takes less time anyways. So uh, in the food processor, just dump it in. Don't use the whole can worth of juice, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, uh, maybe like a third of a can. Okay. And that should make it super smooth. I mean, test it out, keep the juice and then just pour in periodically as you're using the uh, food processor, pour the the juice from the can in periodically until it gets to your level of smoothness. But that's where I was going wrong. And I used it and, and now hummus is good. Oh, amazing. Mm. Okay. I'm about to test it out. Um, So growing up, it sounds like sort of you came from a family where everyone just loved to cook. There wasn't necessarily one cook. <laughs> yeah, there were there were a few cooks. Yes, yeah, yeah. So my mom cooked like every night. So she would cook for us. Uh, you know, every single night she made like she didn't make particularly like it wasn't like a um, like a consistent thing. She would always kind of I think she did make an effort to do different things. Like she had her staple dishes. She used to make like a, a pepperonata and we had that very often. And salmon was like a big thing that we had very often as well, usually on Fridays, I guess. And I think we just ate a bit of everything. Um, but yeah, my mom would cook most of the time and my dad would cook once in a while. He would make like a carbonara mm. um, and he does make it really well. Amazing. Uh, enough that I can remember it from, you know, from memory, how like rich it was. But I don't use like, I don't eat meat anymore. And he uses like, he used to use bacon and stuff like that. So I like, sometimes I'm like, I struggle because I'm like, I can't eat that. But I I remember it being so good that I kind of want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So he would cook once in a while. And then my aunts, obviously they had a bakery. So they just kind of made food like factory. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was it was obviously really good. And yeah, my grand... So my Italian grandmother used to make... Like she makes amazing lasagna. She makes incredible pesto sauce. And she makes a crepe, like a mushroom crepe. And that is a... That was always a treat. Like if we were going for Christmas or Easter or whatever at my grandmother's, at my nunna's house, mm-hmm. then I don't ask my nunna for much, but I would definitely ask her to make that each time if I could, because mm-hmm. it was like, so, it was just amazing. And then, like I said, my Arabic grandmother, Lebanese grandmother, uh, she, she's my situ. We call her situ. Uh, a lot of Arabic people say teta for their mm-hmm. grandmother, but we called, uh, we called our grandmother situ. And, uh, yeah, she would. She always had every food. There was no question of is she gonna have this? Is she gonna make that? It was like you know that joke where you're like, oh, I look at the menu and I just kind of say yes, like I'll have everything. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was it. Everything was there when you got there. Everything, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and everything with it. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And was there? Is there any sort of? cultural or holidays where you were like, okay, this is my favorite because I know the food is going to be amazing. Or it's just always just a regular day. You're like, the food's going to be fantastic. Yeah. So the food was going to be great anytime we went, there's no question. But this, in terms of a celebration, uh, the Arabic or the, um, the Lebanese community in several 
you know, cities around this part of, uh, you know, in Toronto, there's a big uh, Lebanese community in, in, in London, Ontario, there's a big Lebanese community in Dearborn, Michigan. There's a very large, uh, I think it's one of the largest diasporas of Lebanese people. If mm. that's a word, I know diaspora is a word. I just don't know if I'm using it in the right tense. Mm. Um, but anyways, there's a lot of Lebanese people there. So, uh, we would go every year. We do um, a picnic on like Labor Day weekend mm-hmm. and all these people would get together. And I think like back in the day, we used to rent out these massive rooms, you know, like these uh, halls and uh, it would just be like five or 600 uh, Arabic people. And uh, they would have dinner together one night and be like a dinner and dance. It was like a wedding essentially, but you were celebrating your culture. You were celebrating being right. Yeah. It's incredible. I think what happened was you do the, you do the night thing on the first night, you would do the party at night in a big hall and there would be loads of desserts and stuff. And then the next day you would do like in a park, all the families would come out. I mean, the kids were at the hall as well, but uh, that would kind of be the day with the kids and you go out into a big park and yeah, you just kind of, you know, spend the day talking with your, um, your old friends from back home. Um, and their kids would, uh, you know, get to know each other and be friends and, and uh, cultivate relationships that way as well. And the big food I remember from that is uh, kanafi, which is, um, do you know what it is? It's a dessert. No. Oh, oh, it's incredible. So kanafi is like, here, I actually like looked up a recipe. Oh, yeah. So the history, it says like, no one knows precisely where this kanefi originated from, but some people say it's from the 15th century in Egypt. Um, but in, in any case, uh, there's a town actually in Palestine that holds the Guinness World Record for the largest kanefi, which I find is hilarious because it's, um, it's a tasty dessert. So I don't know why you would need to compete um, for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometimes, so yeah, so it's cheese and it's got like a really sort of Feloy, like angel hair, thin, super, super thin strands. I think of, of, um, of phyllo pastry, textured um, strand things. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> it's you, very I think difficult. I can kind of picture it now. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So it's like so basically, I think you rip up all these. It's just like a shredded thing. You shred this these noodles, so to speak, but they're made of phyllo, and you span them out on like a big pot, uh, and you cover it in cheese or big pan, sorry. And then it's cheese. It's like a very soft cheese, and you bake those two items together, and the noodles that have the butter in them sort of create this crust. Um, yeah, and it melts the cheese. And I think you're meant to do that. The noodles are on the bottom at first, and then you flip the whole thing over and take the top off. So then you have this very crusty sort of uh, circle. Everything's very circular, actually, now that I'm thinking of it. Um, But yeah, so this big circular uh, thing of phyllo pastry with cheese, melting cheese under it. And then you you douse the whole thing in uh, sugar syrup or honey and piping hot, you know. so it's kind of like a very loose adaptation of like baklava, mm-hmm. but I don't know. You got to try this thing. It that is incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Well, now that you're saying it, I think I can kind of picture it. Like I'm sure I've seen it at bakeries and maybe on like a dessert table before at a restaurant. Oh, um, yeah. It sounds really good. Okay. Have you ever been to Jerusalem restaurant? Oh my goodness. It's so funny that you mentioned it. Uh, we love Jerusalem. We eat there like maybe twice a month. 
Maybe like sometimes like three times sometimes three times a month we order I'm we get so to go in there. <laughs> oh, it's I'm so, so jealous. good. It's on it. So that's where like my family goes for big events now. Like um, shout out to Jerusalem. Honestly, we we love them in our house. Oh, please <laughs> shout them out. They're incredible. They have that pita machine in the front. Uh it's like the it's like they put fresh whatever, they make fresh pita there and it's Their piping pita hot. Is, oh, it's so good. It's so so we go there for like loads of events. We've actually been like uh, lamenting over it in my family a bit because, you know, with obviously with COVID, uh, it's difficult to get together or it has been obviously. So mm-hmm. I went back to school at one point and I graduated uh, literally at the um, right when COVID hit, like March oh. hit and I was at home for school. Yeah. And then and then I graduated that year. So I didn't have to do the, you know, the at-home school thing very, very, for very long, which I'm grateful for because I can't, I, I can't learn like that. And I'm a, a grown adult with like an assumed attention span and I can't <laughs> learn like that. So I don't know how anybody else can. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways. Yeah. But, uh, because I graduated my, one of my cousins, I think two of my cousins graduated from something, one from high school, the other one from university. And we have not been able to get together and we've been not been able to, everybody's been like, where do you want to go when you celebrate something? Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Every single time without <laughs> fail. And so when you go to that, um, when you go to the buffet there, they do have kenefi. They typically have it there. It's a big circular thing at the end of the dessert table. Like I said, it looks sort of orange, actually. I feel like mm-hmm. it looks a bit orange there, but it, it is kind of, it's so good. Just cheese and phyllo pastry and butter and mm. sugar syrup. Okay, well, I'll have to order it next time because usually we do we do takeout. We call it what in you and usually get? pick it up. So we get the dinner for two, which my husband and I eat for three meals. It's there's so <laughs> much food. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We made the mistake once of ordering. Um, I think we ordered dinner for six, and it was um, my myself and my husband, my husband's mother and his, and her husband, and then our my our two kids, which are very young, like they eat, you know, they pretty much just eat the pita and like maybe a little bit of chicken. Um, right. We ordered the dinner for six. And I think it fed us for like a week. <laughs> and portions are huge. They're so yeah. good. Um, so we usually just order the dinner for two chicken. Um, and then we, I love their tomato, the t- tomato mm. like side dish. It's so good with like the sauce. And I pour that all over my rice. And then we get nice. the, t- um, the fatouche salad and their <sighs> garlic sauce is so good. And their hot sauce is so good. Yes. It's everything. And all everything like when we get like an extra 10 pitas for my husband and I, because it's, they're just so good. Do you ever go there on a night? Have you been there on a night when they do, they have like belly dancers there. You know, we've never eaten inside. So we moved to oh. this neighborhood about a year ago and um, where we used to live, we had this really great Greek, re- Greek restaurant and we used to order like just big, you know, big plate mm-hmm. of Czechoslovakia. And we'd have like this big mass of salads and these Czechoslovakia. And it just felt so good. Like for nights that I didn't want to cook, but we still wanted to eat, you know, kind of healthy and, and yeah. whole food. Um, so when we moved to this neighborhood, we were kind of like, oh, you know, we wish there was just like a really delicious restaurant that was delicious every single time. It was good portions yes. and healthy. You know, we don't feel guilty, you know, giving the kids, you know, takeout or whatever. And yeah. then he, literally my husband was driving home a couple of weeks after we moved in. And he goes, yeah, there's this restaurant I drove by Jerusalem. And we mentioned it to, um, to my, to my mother-in-law and her husband and her 
her husband grew up in this neighborhood and he was like, Oh my God, Jerusalem. Oh, there's one near you. Okay. We're, we're getting that next time we come up Yeah, and we, we got takeout and it was so good. So we've, I haven't eaten inside actually. Okay. It's pretty big inside and they do a night, they do live music and they have belly dancers or they used to anyways. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always been a staple. I think my, uh, I think if legend is true, I think my grandmother either worked there or or like, you know, knew the owner. It's a very small community anyways. Like it was mm-hmm. a small world, I should say. So uh, a lot of Lebanese people, like especially growing up, like they all kind of know each other and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So uh, they'd always be like, oh, this is my friend or this is my friend. I'm the son of this person. I'm the son of that person. So you get to know each other. Like, I don't know, I'm going off tangent a bit, but there was a Christmas, I think either last Christmas or the, no, it couldn't have been last year. It was the year before, I guess. We were going somewhere in our car and we parked in front of our apartment. We used to live in Leeside uh, at Eglinton and Leslie. And we parked our car in front of our apartment and someone flew, was flying by um, in an Audi and smacked my driver's side mirror clean off. Wow. Or parts of it came clean off anyways. And uh, so I don't know if the guy, like uh, it was a kid anyways, I don't know if the kid realized uh, what had happened, but I started following him because I was in the car mm-hmm. and uh, he he was good. He stopped like, you know, maybe a hundred meters up the road and we got out of the car and I was like, okay, like give me your information because you hit me. Mm-hmm. And he, um, <laughs> so he pulls out his license and I look at his last name and it's a very, uh, very typical like Lebanese last name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know this name. And I called, uh, I called my dad like after it happened. And I was like, dad, like this kid just hit me and this is his last name. My dad's like, oh, uh, yeah, I know who that, who that is. He used to work with this guy's dad's brother, right? <laughs> so my dad used to, yeah, so small. yeah. It's so small, right? But then mm-hmm. the kid, I felt bad for him too. Cause he was like, don't tell my dad. Cause it was probably his dad's car. Yeah. Anyways, it all worked out in the end. It was fine. He was like, uh, he was cool about it, but it's just so funny when you're like, you have such a random interaction and then you end up like your families know each other just by way of being from the same culture. Right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, and I don't really, I'm not really from anywhere else. I'm second generation sure. Torontonian. <laughs> Right, okay. But that's its own culture, right? Because there's so, there is kind of so few people that were born and raised here and that yeah. still live here, right? Like that's its own little culture. So totally, yeah. Even smaller yeah, yeah. still, if you are Lebanese or Italian or Portuguese or Greek or anything else, right? True. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. So, what would you say? Okay, we've talked about so much food and so many different dishes. But mm-hmm. if we've sort of people are mouths are watering, they're listening to this. They're like, okay, I need to go get some Lebanese food or you know something. One of your favorite Italian dishes. What do they need to go order? Oh, uh, so I would say so. Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like I've said lots of them. So mm-hmm. what I like. Okay, I can tell you where to go. If okay, you want to find good yes. food, I guess. So there's a very big supermarket. I think there's two of them in Toronto. Uh, there's one in Scarborough and there's one in uh, like, I guess, Mississauga, like Mississauga, Etobicoke. And it's called uh, Adonis. So like you would pronounce it Adonis if you're from here. But uh, a lot of Arabic people pronounce it Adonis, which is just kind of funny because that's uh, that's just the way the accent kind of comes off. Anyways, um, <laughs> they have a huge... So go to the one in Victoria Park. Uh, or is it Vic Park? 
I think it's mm -hmm. like Warden and Eglinton. Uh, and that is generally a good area to get Arabic food is Warden and Eglinton. If you're in Toronto, okay. um, there's a huge, uh, I guess, Arabic population in that area. There's like ours supermarket or grocery. And there's a couple different like Arabic, um, primarily Arabic, uh, Middle Eastern, North African um, places to get food, supermarkets, but Adonis or Adonis is the very big one. And uh, it's like any other supermarket, except they've got an enormous bakery in a inside a glass structure you can watch them bake pita bread live mm -hmm. in real time mm -hmm. so the pita bread is warm out of the oven literally in the middle of the store they have an enormous section of like uh olives and you know nuts and seeds and cheeses and uh, meats and all that sort of stuff and then they've got a huge section like an entire section of the store side of the store is all like hot ready foods but it's like tabbouleh and fatouches mm -hmm. and uh and and manish right with the zatha mm -hmm. and then they've got like manish and jib and mixes so cheese they have something called lachmabjin which is like a meat version of a of a manish. It has like meat and parsley and a couple other things on it. And uh, they bake it all fresh and it's really fantastic. Restaurant wise, I would say Jerusalem hands down mm -hmm. is <laughs> nonstop. The closest you'll get to what my grandmother was making, which was as authentic as I believe you can get. Amazing. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Oh, I'm going to, I feel like I want to take my son. Like, I feel like he'd have so much fun watching pitas being made. Oh, it's incredible. Like, it's a huge operation. It's a big machine in the middle of the store. And yeah, they're just baking the whole time. Uh, the one, the one in Mississauga doesn't have that. Okay. Uh, the one in Mississauga is good, but mm -hmm. uh, the other one is like dinner and a show. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, think, I feel like my son would really enjoy that. Like he's yes. he's had his like if when we order Jerusalem and he knows he'll count the pitas like in front of us, like count them out and say, okay, <laughs> how many are you having? He how knows. many are you having? And yes. well, and then after you know we package it all up and there's always leftovers, so he'll know how many there are left over. And the next morning, like let's say <laughs> if me and my husband and like you know had a midnight snack of some pita and <laughs> oh and no, you can't that. sneak the pita. Oh, but, but then my son will wake up and he'll like, I've seen his shoulders slump down when he sees that there's oh. any left. I feel, and I feel horrible, <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? It's, it was too good. It was too good. Look, I had to I eat it. I smelt it. I had to eat it. <laughs> I sympathize with both sides. Okay. I feel, cause I, that reminds me of me. Cause I would be utterly disappointed if someone ate food without me uh, as a child. Uh, and I also do that now, but now I'm the adult, so I can eat it uh, in the yeah. middle of the night. <laughs> exactly. I wanted bed pita. Okay. I wanted to crawl into bed. It's yes. a nice warm pita. And just <laughs> dream of pitas. Yes. Sorry, kid. <laughs> okay. Well, how can people find you? You have a fan fabulous podcast that I'm very excited for the listeners to check out. So if you can tell us about that. Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, so I have a, it's, I describe it as an interview style storytelling podcast about friendships. Uh, it's called Social Animals and I host it. I'm Alex Hajar and, uh, yeah, I host the show. So I, I talk to guests. I have a different guest each week and I ask them, um, the same questions. It's the same list of questions each episode, but the sort of entertainment value sort of comes from the way that they respond to those questions. And all of the questions have to do with what I think, I guess, is the um, the closest relationships in life that we choose to be a part of mm -hmm. uh, and how we sort of navigate the, uh, the ups and downs of friendship. I love that. Uh, yeah. So you can... Um, thank you. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you can catch me at... Uh, 
at Social Animals Podcast on Instagram. And there's underscore Social Animals underscore on Twitter. Um, those are the main channels. Otherwise, um, yeah, just go to those places and the links are in the bios. And uh, yeah, you can check it out there. And I'll link it in the show notes as well. Thank you. I yeah, think it's such so. an interesting concept because, you know, friends are really the family that we choose, right? And sometimes yeah. with some friends, you spend more time with some friends, especially at certain periods of your life, you spend more time with your friends and your family. Totally. So it's it's yeah. an interesting dynamic for sure. It's cool. There's a lot of interesting stories. Like I've spoken to uh, a gamer in the States who had a friend that he met online who ended up uh, donating his kidney to a different stranger. Um, he conquered a fear of flying uh, by uh, because he was like um, he was a medical professional, and and this person I was speaking of had gone, I believe, for some surgery or they had a they had a problem with their back, and so this person conquered their fear of flying uh, to go be with this person and and take care of them for like a week or something like that for a while until they got better. So wow. yeah, it was a, a relationship that was completely formed online through gaming. So when I asked the question, like, have you ever met people online? That was probably, uh, well, I would say like a so such a wildly like um, surprising story to hear that that happened. So it's kind of a cool, you know, way to get things that you would you might never hear of before about friendship into that space right out into the, the space and earthing all those really yeah. cool stories and and friendships and you know we spend so much of our lives online now so it only makes sense that you would have you know relationships form online yeah it's kind of funny it's like you don't really bump into people do you i guess like in that gaming sense you could but uh, is there are other other places to bump into people online? I mean, one of my really good friends, shout out to Miranda, we met online on a random Facebook group of like okay. 15 years ago, 16 years ago. So we had right. I had just kind of added myself to this Facebook group that sounded kind of interesting. And um she was like a moderator and we kind of hit it off. And then I can't remember we like friend each other, started writing each other's roles, you know, 16 mm. years ago. <laughs> That's what you did. And um and then we been person and we obviously both lived in, in the city and, uh, and you know, that's kind of how that happened. So I guess that would be sort of like bumping into each other online and yeah, on Instagram, I, right? Uh, yeah. So I sort of asked that question and then I totally blanked because one of my closest friends uh, in my life is someone that I've met in a Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we it was uh, sort of kind of... Well, it was funny because he was he lived in the UK. He still lives in the UK. When I went to live there, I'd see him a couple extra times. But our relationship has fundamentally been at a distance of about 3,000 miles for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we, like I said, we bumped into each other online that way, the same way you guys did. And we've been friends ever since. We've gone through sort of like big life changes and things like that. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, it's a whole whole new world. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to share before we wrap it up? Uh, no, <laughs> I think like, uh, no, not really. I, you know what? I made a couple notes before, uh, before we started. Mm -hmm. So I tried to follow those. Let me see if there's anything left on there. No, I think I mentioned everything like... This is a great podcast, by the way. And like, I really appreciate that you are interested in hearing about this sort of cultural food from me. Uh, it's a bit unique in the sense that like... I grew up, like I said, with my grandparents and my my sort of larger family as a di direct influence of uh, Middle Eastern stuff. But um, 
so yeah, it wasn't like my whole family, you know, like uh, it was tough to relate to like other Middle Eastern kids sometimes because their whole families were Arabic. So they would speak fluently. Uh, and because I couldn't speak with them, like I didn't have a chance to make like a lot of friends in the Middle Eastern community at that time mm-hmm. um, because they would just kind of speak Arabic and then I would be left out. Right. So, um, but now I'm finding actually more and more through Instagram and these other channels, there's a lot of other people that had a similar like uh, experience to me where they're not fluent, but they identify a lot with uh, with their Middle Eastern uh, backgrounds and and food is a central item uh, that we that we bond over. So I think like, yeah, it, I think my wife said it earlier, um, it's sort of the great unifier. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what language you speak or if you speak a language, you know, if you can communicate directly with the person in front of you, but if there's good food in front of you, I think you're both going to have a good time and you're both going to remember that. I love that for sure. Yes. Well, and it's interesting what you said about um, connecting with sort of Arabic friends and Arabic community, because you went to, you said you went to Catholic school. So you probably met a lot of Italian um, kids growing up, right? Yeah. I actually shifted a lot. Yeah. So I, uh, there was a lot of Italians at the Catholic school I went to, and then I went to public school in, uh, and we lived in a, uh, a very like Jewish area mm-hmm. of the city, uh, at the time. So there was like, uh, like a big Jewish influence, uh, at school. And, uh, so I ended up going to like bar mitzvahs when I was mm-hmm. a kid, <laughs> uh, which are always super fun, uh, too. I don't think I spent enough time to like get a full, you know, idea of what their um, food is like, like their sort of culturally significant food. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were always huge celebrations and everybody was really happy and dancing. So usually that's accompanied by really good food too. Mm-hmm. You know, food is the great unifier. I might steal mm-hmm. it from your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have to quote her. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. Cool. Um, water or land? Ooh. As in the food or where I would live? Where you where you feel most at home? Oh, I feel most at home on land with a view of the sea. Perfect. Okay. Apple or pineapple? Mm, pineapple. Favorite drink? An old-fashioned. Mm, okay. Imagine you're in a cafe anywhere in the world and mm. you hear clinking of glasses, people chatting, maybe some music. What city mm. are you in? Uh, it's so romantic. I think that I would be in uh, Piazza in San Vito al Taliamento, which is the town where my uh, my nunu and nunna are from. Uh, and I spent several weeks there uh, when I was like 17. And that's what inspired me to travel. And I think I've had itchy feet ever since. Uh, and <laughs> that's the sort of thing that I think of when there's clinking glasses and and those uh, that atmosphere. I love that. And are you inside or outside? Oh, I'm outside. I'm outside on the piazza. I'm outside on the piazza and there's live music across the street in the theater. Oh, wonderful. Um, yes. Yeah. And are you drinking something? Yes. So I'm either drinking a, a spritz, um, which is like a spritz campari. Mm-hmm. Um or spritz campari, uh, or an ugo, which is uh, which is a nice drink with like elderflower and uh, it's like an elderflower liqueur. Delicious. Mm-hmm. And are you eating something? Am I eating something? Probably just crisps, like chips, mm-hmm. like a bowl of chips. And who are you with? 
my wife and uh, my uh, my wife and my friend Enrico. Amazing. Yeah. And if you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? <laughs> oh yeah. I, oh, I love this question. <laughs> I actually like tried to research uh, what I think I would be. I feel like I would like to be a masa man curry. Right? Mm. So masa man curry is like my favorite curry. And it specifically, it was introduced to me by a, a very, very dear friend of mine called Fred, uh, who was my neighbor in England. And uh, we like shared uh, lots of like really good times together. Uh, we went biking in the in the Yorkshire Dales National Park and, and we went traveling to Morocco together with our significant others. We did everything together. Anyways, he introduced... There was this really small uh, Thai restaurant in um, in Morley, which is the town where we lived in England, uh, which is near Leeds. And uh, it was called Ban Thai, the restaurant. And uh, they had a Massaman curry there. And so it's a really... It has really bold flavors. So I chose it because I think that like I'm when I'm with people and people that I'm close to or, you know, in a group, like at a party or something, especially lots of people that I know, I'm quite type A personality. Like I'm really out there and I have big conversations and I like to laugh. Um, but also it's quite like easygoing. So I like to think of myself as relatively chill, mm-hmm. um, which kind of is like the coconut milk part of the curry but yeah these uh, do you, like have you had a massaman curry before i don't think so but i'm gonna have to try it okay i have a recipe for the thing here so i'm just gonna note some of the ingredients mm-hmm. i don't know if that helps yeah but it's like dry chili lemongrass shallot garlic galangal root mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm saying that right clove coriander seed you know and uh shrimp paste star anise nutmeg mace, cinnamon stick. These are like super rich flavors. And I think that speaks to the boldness of uh, the dish itself. But it's got like potatoes and uh, like I said, lemongrass. And oh, it's just so smooth, but very rich. Sounds wonderful and bold. And I love that. And hearing you talk about food, I mean, that definitely comes through for sure. Thank you. I shouldn't say rich as in like, it's not money rich. It's just rich in flavor. Rich in personality. Rich in abundance. (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much alex i had so much fun tonight me too thank you for having me i appreciate it thank you for joining me have a great night and i hope you have jerusalem sooner than later yeah yeah you too i hope you do that too and go to uh, adonis or adonis sorry well i'm gonna say adonis because i don't want to sound like oh who's the white girl saying adonis (laughs) over here (laughs) yeah yeah and get the manish and the jibin and kibbe get kibbe it's really good for your uh for your kids, they're handheld, they're closed, so they don't make a lot of a mess. And if you have a, I have so many instructions, sorry, but the manaish you get, you know, put the lebni, your homemade lebni, spread mm-hmm. it in there with some tomato and uh, and cucumber and away you go. It's just, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Such great food. Such oh, great food. Sounds amazing. Okay, well, I'm going to have to do a whole little feast and I'm going to have to listen back to this episode and write down all of the different things because everything sounds so good. Cool. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Thanks again. Wasn't that a mouthwatering chat? I hope your next meal is soon. Is there a food question you've always wanted to ask? Or maybe a suggestion for someone I should interview? Leave a review and let me know. Don't forget to follow and rate this show. Cheers.